Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to our latest Outsports Podcast. It is the doldrums of summer when virtually nothing in sports is happening. We ended up talking about the upcoming season. I know Jim Bazinski is excited for the NFL season. Uh, Jim, I guess I suppose next week we'll do our kind of our NFL preview episode, yeah? Yeah, we need to know who else has torn their ACL in the net last week, so that really affects who you're going to pick. <laughs> it's really been a brutal year for that. Well, it's, I know Jordy Nelson, and uh, who else did I see? Just, you know, Skandrick? Skandrick, and, and yesterday, Kelvin Benjamin for the Panthers is out for the whole season. Right. Pouncey broke his ankle, the Steelers center, um, and there were numerous ones happened, you know, back-to-back-to-back early in training camp. I'm trying to remember now, but, I mean, oh, the Redskins lost two of their three starting tight ends for the season already. I mean, it just, (laughs) it's this war of attrition that, you know, you saw the Jordy Nelson thing. It it was a non-contact, and he's done for the season. Yeah, it's 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 a shame, and and part of me says, well, I'd rather it happen now than week one, because at least teams can prepare for it, but... It it just it it sucks because essentially the, the team that wins the Super Bowl is so often the team that was good and able to avoid injuries. I mean that's and that that's was the Seahawks the last couple of years. It's just been incredible. Well, yeah, two years ago, been. the Seahawks had injuries, but they all happened. They weren't concentrated on one of their units, so it didn't decimate a, a one of their particular units. And they happened. They were so spaced out that an alignment be out for three weeks, and he'd come back, and a linebacker be out for four weeks, and they just had perfect timing, so by the time the playoffs came, they were really healthy, and then when the Super Bowl came, they had Percy Harvin, they basically paid him $11 million for one game, <laughs> and it turned out to be the Super Bowl. I still think he should have been the MVP of that game, but you know, even last year with the Patriots, they had a secondary that stay, was able to stay healthy the whole season, and in the past, that has been a thing that you know has really hurt them. And Gronkowski stayed healthy for the first time, I think, an entire season. And look what happened to their offense when he's out of there. So, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, health. And the Packers have some depth. And Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. But, I mean, Jordy Nelson, it's hard to replace 15 touchdowns. Yeah. Well, Jim and I have our fantasy football uh, draft this Sunday. Good thing it's after week three. And it's it's funny, I ask people on Twitter for some fantasy football advice, and pretty much all they do is regurgitate what the expert says. I'm like, okay, I get, I know my five or six options with the fourth pick. I got it. Like, you don't need to, I want some insight here, but it's so tough because people really don't know what's what's in store for the, I mean, what what Adrian Peterson looks like, and what's the plan going to be for him, and what is the Lions offense going to look like? Is Calvin Johnson going to get the throws? So it's, it's such a crapshoot with fantasy football. I'm just hoping not to not to finish ninth out of ten teams again this season. That was embarrassing well, and I, last year. I won for the first time ever last year, but a lot of it was guys I picked up, you know, during the season, like C.J. Yeah. Anderson and Jeremy Hill, and uh, who were huge down the stretch, and Emmanuel Sanders that I got deep in the draft. So that's part of it. Is I have the first pick, which I hate because there is no. 
the days of Marshall Falk years ago and Priest Holmes that were the automatic yeah. number one picks. doesn't happen anymore, so I'm taking Adrian Peterson, but just because I think of the, all the guys he has the most upside, but I have no it's, idea. It's, 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 the right, it's the right pick. I would do the same thing if I were in your shoes. But it's not like, Absolutely. oh, my God, it's, an, it's, a, it's a gimme. Uh, and as long as he doesn't beat any more kids, you know, like, <laughs> like last year. Frankly, frankly, I think it's a gimme. I, I, so <laughs> I know yeah, you're picking him, so that's why. You have the fourth, you have the fourth pick the, in our league, right? Yeah, I know. But, you know, it would be a dream if he fell to me. I think I, I think. Well, he's not because right I'm taking him. I mean, I'm just I'm short of him. No, I know. That's what I'm ankle. saying. Yeah. I think you got you, – you got you, – you got – I think you've got to be happy with that pick. Anyhow, enough of fantasy football. We could talk more about it next week and bemoan uh, our disaster fantasy yeah. drafts. But this week we've got a couple of stories, one that's kind of, well, I guess behind us, but just starting with uh, gay referees starting to come out slowly but surely. Uh, but Andrew Goldstein, you know, Andrew, in 2004, he wrote a piece for Outsports. He was then the goalie for the Dartmouth lacrosse team. And he was gay out to his team, and he wrote a piece for us on Outsports. It was really one of the first really kind of big, important pieces that we ever had on Outsports. And that led to ESPN kind of covering him being out and gay. And, and 10 years later, ESPN kind of is doing a 10 years later story. And Andrew recently held a, a, a courage game in Philadelphia, which was designed to, to help this this kid, this young gay lacrosse player who was struggling with being gay, and I know Andrew is thrilled to have Andrew join us. All three of us are in sunny, hot, blazing Los Angeles this week. Um, Andrew, just give us a, a, a little bit of background. People, have, I'm sure, Outsports have read a bit about the Courage Game, but and, and I know that you did it to, to to help Braden. But why that? Why a Courage Game? How did that? come into your head is that that's the thing I'm going to do? Um, well, you know, through the years, there have been a number of kids who've reached out to me through Facebook or sending emails. And I've always said, um, you know, why don't I go to your school and give a talk or, or meet with the teachers and, and the coaches? And that seems to have been pretty effective for changing the environment around uh, kids who are going through a tough time. And when Braden's family came to me, I suggested the same thing. And his parents said, well, he's 12. He's in sixth grade. And the school doesn't really want to have you come and talk about anything related to being gay. And so that's when we started to get a little more creative. And we thought um, maybe we could put on a, a, a game to show this kid how supported he is by those in his local community and, and those all around the country. And what was the well, reaction well, at this, at, you know, amongst his classmates of this? Um, you know, the really interesting thing about this is, is his friends and his teammates, they've been generally very supportive of him. You know, when I was at the Courage game, I would ask these kids, so why are you here? Why are you playing? And they all say, oh, Braden's my teammate. He's my buddy. We've played with him all along. We don't care that he's gay. It doesn't matter to us. It's the, the most interesting thing is it's been an education for their parents. But for the, the, the 12-year-olds that, that know him, in general, the response has been really supportive. They, it's just a different generation. They're growing up in a different world, and they've had to, to teach their parents the, the tolerance and respect. 
ESPN today released a kind of a little one-minute teaser on uh, a special that they have coming, a special package they have coming this Sunday. I think it's at 11 a.m. Eastern on Sports Center about you and about Braden and about the Courage Game, and it really teases that 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 you know. Yes, we understand what you're saying, and that that his teammates don't care. But this kid was really struggling, and 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 his mom talks about them thinking that we've lost him, that he is going to end his life. How, at what point did you come come into the picture, and 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 what was Braden's mental space when you did? I was brought in at the lowest point. It was absolutely. Uh, desperation for the family. It, it was not just Braden going through this, but the entire family was. They, they felt, in a sense, that they had been ostracized from their community. And um, when they reached out to me, it was it was the whole family feeling alone, feeling lost. And yeah, they didn't know whether Braden was going to do something that we see all the time on on the news. These kids that take their lives, and, and they didn't know. So that was where Braden was when I came into it. And that was really the beginning of when things started to turn around. And I have to say, it's just been the greatest gift in my life to get to be a part of this kid's life, to be a part of this whole family, and to get to witness someone go from such a dark place, which I remember myself, many of us have been there, um, to, to where he is now. Um, just a little more clarification. on So he he's the one he reached out to you? So at that point when things got really dark, his parents said, isn't there that gay lacrosse player that came out years ago who was on ESPN? And they looked it up, and it's out there on YouTube, and they watched the clip with Brayton, and it was sort of the beginning of hope. And then Brayden's father looked me up online and sent me an email, and I reached out to him um, in response to that email and said, yeah, let's let's do what we can to help this get out. And and so at what point did you meet him? Because I know that you were in either Philadelphia or New York and you ended up meeting him. What what was his headspace by the time that you actually met him? And, and when did this all happen? When did you first get in contact with him and then when exactly did you meet him? So his dad reached out to me towards the end of March of this year and my husband, Jamie, and I happened to be going to New York City for the holidays in early April. And so we had been in communication with Braden and his parents. And so he said, if you're ever on the East Coast, let us know. We'll, we'll come find you. And I said, ah, it turns out that, you know, in two weeks I'm going to be in New York. So the whole family drove up um, from where they live, about an hour outside Philadelphia, to New York City. We all met um, in the city and Braden was very shy he was he was very quiet but he wrote down what he was really feeling because he wasn't sure he was going to be able to express himself clearly in words and this letter which I think you've circulated on Outsports is just it's a tearjerker it's just unbelievable and we went to Central Park and we played catch he, he brought a stick for me we played catch for like two hours it was one of the most fun uh, times in my life and from then he started to really come out of his shell and you can really see his confidence now and what is, is, now is he playing an organized lacrosse league there um, 
And what's yeah, his like he, sort of lacrosse goal, so to speak? Um, he plays in a uh, a few different. Uh, he plays for a few different t- uh, teams in his local area. Um, I know in the summer they were pretty much lacrosse every weekend for this team or that team, and they practice a few times during the week. So he's he's got a few different teams. I, I presume in a few years uh, will start to be for the high school team, but at this age, it's more of the um, the town and regional teams. And follow up on that. I mean, he's on ESPN or will be on ESPN, and there's no more, you know, thing that has more cachet with athletes than ESPN. Is that given him a measure of celebrity there? Has it? And I assume it has changed things for the better. The whole process going forward. Yeah, I think uh, he's he's just starting to see um, the impact that he can have. And what's so amazing is we've been going through this whole process as as two families, the, the Lang family in Pennsylvania and, and me and my husband out here in California. And we've been in almost constant communication since March. We FaceTime together uh, on a regular basis, and, and we go through the, the different things. You know, they bring us in on the things that they're struggling with, and you know, we, we talk it all through. And the uh, the first process was getting him to a place where he was excited to be alive. And we've we've watched him from the Courage game where he was the inspiration for this entire game, all of these kids being there because of him, to now with it doesn't get much bigger, like you said, than being on SportsCenter on ESPN. And he's really excited for this. He's a special kid. He's not just your average 12-year-old. And, well, he, he is a 12-year-old. We have to be um, we have to be cautious of that. But he's a special kid. He's ready to be an inspiration for his generation um, to the extent that he can also live a normal life. So I'm, I could not be prouder of him and his entire family. I know ESPN obviously did the piece on you 10 years ago. How, how did this come about? Did they, did they come to you and say, oh, it's been 10 years, what's going on? Have you stayed in touch with them? I mean, how did they hear about the Courage game? In April, after we met in person and we all decided to put on this game, which was a crazy thing to try to attempt in, in six weeks or less, which we pulled off with some amazing people contributing, um, in that process, we happened to realize that not only was this an amazing story because all of our friends were um, were so excited to hear about this new relationship and what was going on, um, but that the game, the card game itself, was being played on literally the 10-year anniversary of the original airing back in 2005 uh, about uh, my team and, and me coming out. And so I reached out to Greg Garber, who is the journalist who did the original piece back in, in 2005. And we've been in touch every so often uh, over the, the last 10 years. And I told them, you know, this is a great story. And the piece that you did played a critical role in this kid being able to find me and and have so much hope. And ultimately, Greg was really excited by the story. He shared it with his colleagues at ESPN. He got permission to send a a production crew and cameras to the Courage game. Um, And after that, they did a number of follow-up interviews with with some of us out here, with the Langs, 
um, some of his friends at school, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do on Sunday. Could you talk just a bit about, I guess, the importance of athletes coming out? I mean, we hear a lot of debate about should they and shouldn't they, and I guess my opinion now is if someone's in a position where it's not going to affect their career or their life in some negative way, they have a responsibility because if you had not come out, Braden would not have known that you even existed, even if you were out within your team comfortably. But the public coming out is so important. Is that something you agree with or or what? Well, I think every coming out is such a personal decision because – no two circumstances are alike. And so it's hard for me to make any general statement about that. But I know for my for myself, when I made the decision to be more public than just my friends and teammates, it was a, a real struggle to decide, am I going to put myself out there in such a public way? It's very uncomfortable at first, but when you begin to see the impact that you can have by sharing your story, it kind of becomes a no-brainer. And I think a lot about athletes that, for instance, some of the women on the U.S. uh, national soccer team who have come out, some of them have come out in more recent years, but have said they've been out to those who knew them for a long time and didn't seem like it was necessary to come out on a more public scale. Again, it's a really personal decision, but when you realize that just by putting yourself out there, you can change the lives of young people who are struggling, it sort of makes you think, you know, maybe maybe more athletes could make that decision. It feels like it has to be a courageous decision at first, but um, what you have to overcome is nothing compared to the impact you can have on real people who are, who are going through tough times. Yeah, it's been making us crazy. It makes me absolutely crazy that more athletes at elite level of the sport, and, and Andrew played at the most elite level of his sport, Major League Lacrosse, for a, a couple of seasons, um, NCAA tournament with Dartmouth, and and still came out and has had such an impa- a powerful impact. It just it makes me nuts that more of these athletes don't do it. And you did it at such a precarious time in your career. You you were just ending college. You Obviously, you wanted to get into the pros, and you did it before the draft, just like Michael Sand did, and, and and there you ended up with the Boston Cannons. It just drives me nuts that these well-established athletes don't do it. Yeah, I mean, everybody's got their own their own journey and their own decisions to make. Oh, screw that. Screw that. No. <laughs> I'm tired of that. Fuck that. I'm tired. I'm tired because I understand there are some people who clearly it would not be in their in their personal interest to do it. But at a certain point, there are people like on the women's team. They were happily married. Everybody in the sport knew everybody accepted them. You know, I think it's a cop out to say, oh, it's my private life. I don't want to be public because when you have kids killing themselves over being gay and not having role models, I just they kind of lose me at that, at that vantage point. I absolutely agree, um, but you know we we pay a lot of attention to professional athletes, and of course it makes sense because these are role models, and every every word they say, they say is um, is heard by the younger generations, and that's very true. But I think you know being part of this courage game and seeing the kids of the next generation where they were playing on behalf of an openly gay athlete 
And those kids are going to grow up and create the new normal. You know, they they live in a, in a different world. And by the time those kids are in college and in professional sports, they're going to think very differently. And it's hard. You know, a lot of us, we grew up in a world that taught us that being gay was a bad thing, that there was no version of a, of a healthy gay relationship. And these kids now, they see something completely different. So it's hard for me to, to care all that much about what the professional athletes do because I feel like they're going to do what, what they want to do. But the, the, most, <laughs> the most fulfilling thing is, is seeing um, the changes in the next generation because they're the ones we don't have to worry about. Yeah, that's well, Sid and mine job to worry about professional athletes. You, what you've done is amazing. <laughs> well, luckily we've gotten to worry about the younger athletes too. But, Andrew, thank you so much. We're looking forward to seeing you on ESPN Sports Center this Sunday, probably about 18 times, and uh, but first time at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, have a great weekend, and, and thanks for joining us. Yes, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I'll never forget, Jim, when <laughs> One of the one of my biggest um, journalistic regrets ever is when we did our list of the hundred most important moments in LGBT sports history. We knew that we were gonna forget one, and and we co- completely forgot to put Andrew coming out on that list. And literally, it's one of my greatest, one of the biggest mistakes I think we've ever made at Outsports. It was it was a honest mistake. It just. It just—it's still like I don't know for whatever reason it still eats at me because it just—I don't know how we missed that one. Well, you know we can revise this list because so much has happened since, and I think he deserves a place now, especially for the you know this thing with Braden. So um, it's amazing too with ESPN that I remember talking to Greg Garber, and he's a huge lacrosse person, and the fact that he was a huge lacrosse person made them do that story in the first place. You know, you talk about diversity of all types in a workplace, even diversity of interest, where that's a, a niche sport. And yet Greg, you know, I think, I don't know if he had a kid playing it at the time. But anyway, he was obsessed with it. And so Andrew's story really spoke to him because he knew the sport so well. Yeah, well, you know, we talk all the time about the importance of different people coming out at all levels of sport and all different sports because you never know who's going to connect with what story. We, we, we've had probably several dozen swimmers come out on out sports or, or come out publicly, but, you know, when a, when a swimmer from UCLA comes out, it connects with different people. And then a, a swimmer at University of Miami comes out, it connects with a different group of people. And, and so that's why we always, you know, people say, oh, you know, these stories, are, are, they, are they getting old? No, they don't, because every single story connects with somebody differently. And obviously, mm-hmm. Greg Garber connected with this story because of lacrosse. So. Yep. Thank God for that. So I, I um, you know, and, and it was, it's been interesting over the last couple of months because this, you know, obviously I, you know, I've, I've, I haven't, I've really talked a lot about it until recently. But this, um, you know, me getting into high school football officiating, obviously, the football official stories are connecting more with me than than they ever before, and it's been interesting over the last couple of months how several high school and college and even semi-pro officials are, are reaching out to us. And we had the story this week uh, from a, a closeted gay high school football official in Louisiana talking about uh, detailing some pretty nasty homophobia that he's experienced. 
and and it's been interesting to me, Jim, to really think about, and we have more of these stories coming actually in the next few weeks and months. It's been interesting that as we've talked about changing the sports world, we've talked about athletes and coaches and the media, but we've nobody's really talked certainly in the conversations we've had, and we've worked with a lot of activists and advocates, we've really talked about changing that in the world of the referees. And I'm glad that these stories are starting to come out that, um, yeah, that's a whole separate world and nobody's paying attention to it. Well, the story we had this week was from a closeted referee down in Louisiana talked about the horrible homophobia he witnesses day in and day out and how, you know, he doesn't want to come out because he's in this awful environment. The positive that's come out of it is we both, I know, got a call yesterday from a, a straight yeah. official in, in Louisiana who was incensed by the story, the fact that it existed, and called these people do it, you know, a-holes. And he, I, I know he reached out to you, and I said, well, Sid, be perfect because he's an official about trying to affect change in Louisiana, and he's already contacted referees, groups, and other states, and I got him in contact with a high school referee in Georgia who is gay that I think you connected with now. I assume we'll be telling his story, but the fact of the matter is there are good people down in Louisiana who want to change the culture down there. Yeah, of, course, of course there are, and, and you know, in, in, in my officials unit in Los Angeles, you know, I think most or all the people uh, are are good people. They they really love officiating. They love the people who are officials. And it, you know, it's so much again when you don't know somebody's gay in the room, you just let things slide that you don't think about. And I've heard several anti-gay things being said in 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 my officials' locker room at halftime of games, before games, and after games. And I think it's just there's just there's just the, the visibility piece is so important because there's just a different attitude as we hear in all the other corners of sports. There's a different attitude that people take when when they know somebody's gay in the room and when they don't. It's not like they want to hide their homophobia. They just don't even think about it when when somebody isn't in the room who's who's, who's openly gay. Well, this straight official told me he said, you know. He doesn't think he, – he knows he won't change everybody's minds about it, but he wants these people who are homophobic to at least shut up. You know, he goes, that's a small victory in and of itself if that language gets removed because they know, they know it's no longer acceptable. And he's trying to get, you know, as he said, I'm in New Orleans, which is, you know, more liberal than, you know, you know rural Louisiana. But, you know, he said he, his daughter had talked to him about, you know – he talked to his daughter about making a difference in the world and all that stuff, and he said, when I saw the story – I realized I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't try to do something about my own profession. And so I really admire this guy for sort of taking steps with something that, as he said, he's already started to reach out. and He's already gotten some pushback from where else? Rural parts of Louisiana, you know, like the people do not want to change. Well, I, I understand that they don't want to, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing. I've, I, had a, I had lunch yesterday with Gary Pine, who's the – AD at Azusa Pacific. It's a it's a it's a evangelical Christian school, and 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 it's it's so interesting because Gary wants to change the environment of the school, but there are going to be people who don't who don't want to change the anti-gay policies, and it's even the people there are there are great people at Christian schools and and in the rural South who want to make change, but there's such such an addiction to homophobia by by a lot of frankly men 
that they just, it's a kind of part of their identity and they don't want to let go of it. Yeah, and it, but you know, we have a story coming up in the next month or so by a hockey official who hopefully he wants to be in the NHL one day, but he's actually been encouraged by all the positivity he's gotten. And he's, he's an official right now, and some of he does a lot of Southern Circuit games of these minor leagues, Southern U.S. And you know, but he said for him it was simply a matter of not lying and being who he was. And he said, I didn't want to have this cloud hanging over me. He said, if I get to the NHL, I want it because I'm a good official and I don't want to be dinged. You know, they'll know they'll know years in advance that I'm a gay guy, and that hopefully won't be an issue. And, and I think a lot of it is, like you said, it's the culture of the area. And where this closeted official is, it just sounds like he would not be safe for him to come out right now. Well, the way officiating works, you have an assigner. If the assigner doesn't want to give you games, you don't mm-hmm. get games. It's like period, end of story. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's little way to override one person's opinion. And I know in, in L.A., my assigner's been amazing. He's known I, I'm gay for, for two years, and he's been awesome to me. So, you know, it's with officiating, it's like a coach. If the coach doesn't want to play, you don't play. With officiating, if it's one guy unchecked doesn't want you to ref, you're not going to ref. But... Anyhow, that's all the time we have this week. Next week we'll be back with yet still more NFL talk. Uh, and, and again, and again our podcast is yes. sponsored by AT&T, mobilizing your world. i got to put a dollar in the dollar jar every time I forget yep. to do that. <laughs> all right, well, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, enjoy the preseason game this weekend.